This narrative of Putin is an old one. Since 10 years, he repeats the same, and it is an insanity and an infamy. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. The brutal Russian invasion of Ukraine has shocked the world and created a humanitarian crisis with profound effects for the region and beyond. To understand if and how these developments may impact religious freedom, we're very fortunate today to have with us Bernard-Henri Lévy, a noted French philosopher, commentator, and writer who has spent decades reporting on human rights abuses and conflict around the globe. He is the author of numerous books, including his most recent book, The Will to See, an accompanying documentary based on his travels and reporting in Ukraine and other hotspot countries where human rights violations and atrocities are taking place. Welcome to you, Bernard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dwight. And let me launch into my first question. If we start with how President Vladimir Putin justified the invasion in an address to the Russian people, saying that this operation will, quote, seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, which has allegedly been committing a genocide for eight years, he says. Obviously, this narrative is patently false, but can you tell our audience why he used this rhetoric with potential religious connotations? And is there a religious dimension uh, to this conflict? And did you see any evidence of Nazism in Ukraine when you're in your numerous visits? I think I know Ukraine rather well. And uh, since one decade, I went there a lot. I, I had the, the, the honor to, to speak on the Maidan in 2014. I spent time in the front line, in the trenches with the Ukrainian army in Donbass two years ago. So I know the situation not not too bad. This accusation of Vladimir Putin is a shame. It is a shame. Uh, Speaking about a genocide uh, committed by the Ukrainian against the Russian-speaking people of Donbass is just ridiculous. There has never been any sort of attack uh, from the Ukrainian side. Uh, not genocide, of course not, but not even attack. The Ukrainian were since uh, till these last days in a defensive position. And about the denazification, it's a scandal. It's a scandal. Uh, of course, there has been in Ukraine, like in France, like in all Europe, there was collaboration with the Nazism. Of course, there has been a Holocaust by, by bullets uh, during the, the Second World War. But what is what struck me when I was in all my travels in Ukraine is the work which the Ukrainian people has done already 
on himself, on his own memory, on his uh, criminal past, and the way, the fair way with which the Ukrainian people deals with it. And the proof and the sign of that, the best sign of the fact that the, the fascist memory of Ukraine has been well mourned uh, in Ukraine is the fact that the president of Ukraine today is a Jew. He has been elected with an overwhelming majority being a Jew and not a hidden Jew, a real Jew, uh, a Jew of affirmation who never, who did never hide the fact that he was a, a Jew by, by, by birth, that his family was decimated by, by the Holocaust and so on. So this narrative of Putin is an old one. Since 10 years, he repeats the same, and it is an insanity and an infamy. And I can tell you one additional thing. The first question I, I, I asked Zelensky the first time we met, the first time we met, it was a few days before his election. He was still um, an actor and a comic actor. And uh, I asked him, but um, is it possible that um, um, an actor is elected president of Ukraine? He told me, yes. Then I said, is it possible that a Jew is president of Ukraine? And he told me, of course. We have today in Ukraine less anti-Semites we have still some, some, some anti-Semites, but less than in France, Zelensky told me, and much less than in Russia, because we did the work, because we are in process of doing it at least, because we confront our past, we, the Ukrainian people. So for all these reasons, the narrative of Putin is an uh, infame. Can you explain then the ways that the Russian government uh, will likely use religious freedom violations as a tool of repression in the occupied territories in Crimea and Donbass to suppress dissent, demonize opposition, and justify endless raids and harassment? Uh, there is a thing, by the way, replaying to your current to to your question and making the connection with my previous reply. Uh, speaking about religious freedom, uh, I am obliged to notice that the army of Putin um, bombed a site which was yesterday, day before yesterday, very close to Babiyar. Babiyar is like uh, the place, the ravine, where 33,000 Jews were killed by bullets during the Holocaust. And there is a memorial there, which the new Ukraine has built. The new Ukraine, under previous President Poroshenko, has made this memorial on the very place where the huge crime, 33 uh, Jews in a few days killed by bullet, was committed. Putin bombed. Uh, the site, very close to the memorial, number one. Number two, about religious freedom. There is a place in Ukraine which is called Uman, Uman, O-U-M-A-N, 
which is a two hours drive from from Kiev, uh, which is a holy, which is considered as a holy place by many Jews in the world, because it is the place where there is the grave of Rabbi Nachman of Braslav, one of the most wise. Um, uh, masters of the Jewish thought of the 19th century, Rabbi Nachman of Braslav. This uh, city of woman, of Uman, Uman, is a place of pilgrimage. Every year, the day of Rosh Hashanah, every year, Jews come from America, Jews come from France, Jews come from Israel to gather in the city of Uman. Of Uman. Three days ago, the city was evacuated because there was it was about to be targeted again by the Russian by the invasion invading Russian army. Uh, yesterday again, there was um, a, a place, um, uh, a, a Jewish school and a synagogue, who were uh, bombed. So we have here when I don't know what what Putin means when he means. Uh, Denazify, but uh, this uh, way of uh, hitting the the Jewish places where the Jews of Ukraine and of the rest of the world worship is probably not the best way to fight against the ghosts of fascism, which are which exist, of course, everywhere in Europe but which are well combated by the Ukrainian uh, people. Thank you. Yes, and you touched on a number of issues there. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of collateral damage and, and uh, religious sites, cultural sites have been hit in recent days, as you, as, you, as you referenced. If we can step back a bit, based on your travels over the years in Ukraine, how, has, how would Russia's uh, approach and violations uh, of uh, religious freedom contrast how would that be different than the way ukraine uh uh treats religious freedom in the country when you visited how were the re the religious minorities and others uh, before uh, russia coming in there is no angelic people of course no peoples are never angels but the ukrainians since the orange revolution dealt rather well with religious freedom uh, there was um, a treatment of uh, uh, of Catholic uh, uh, part of the population uh, of Jews, uh, uh, which was uh, uh, honestly uh, at the level of the requirements of a big democracy like um, the American one or the French one, with a, a true respect with a, a peaceful cohabitation between the religions and so on. On the other side, you have a Putin who uses the religion, uh, the orthodox faith, or at least the orthodox uh, apparatus, let's say, as an element of his war. He uh, enlists the... Uh, some of his popes, uh, of the popes of Russia, uh, in his war of aggression. And 
uh, on the other minorities, for example, the Jews, he exerts, uh, I have a lot of testimonies of that, a sort of, of blackmail and of terror. I was speaking today with a prominent uh, rabbi in Russia because I'm, I have the project to, 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 to launch uh, an appeal to the world jury in order to, to, to take a, a strong stand on this. And I was speaking with a Russian rabbi uh, who told me, I agree with you. I think that uh, Putin is making a dirty use of religion. I think that the, this war in general is dirty and bloody, but I cannot say it. I don't dare. The retaliation against myself, against my worshiper, against my uh, synagogue, my parish, whatever, would be too strong. I cannot commit myself. And I felt in the voice of this rabbi a real sense of fear and of um, the sort of terror you feel in a voice when someone is submitted to a blackmail. Yes, no, that, that is uh, truly unfortunate. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, individuals who are in that, uh, who are in that boat, uh, as you explained. Uh, you know, clearly the invasion, as, as you touched on, poses a, a significant threat to the parishes of the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, who split from the Moscow Patriarchate in the last several years. Can you tell us your perspective on what, what do you think would happen to the independent Orthodox Church in Ukraine, if Russia uh, were successful in taking full control of the country? I think that uh, if the Russians took full control, the autocephal church uh, of, uh, of, of Ukraine will probably uh, support a very serious punishment because uh, since seven years, this uh, Ukrainian church was already um, acting as a force of, um, if not resistance, at least uh, counter power. I was on the Maidan in 2014, and it was very clear that the Ukrainian Orthodox Church was not ready to, to, to walk on the military space space uh, with the with the militarized popes of um, of Putin, so they 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 are they, they, they practice a sort of of smooth, uh, silent and sometimes vocal resistance against the militarization of the orthodoxy by Putin. If Putin wins they will be victims of that. And I think I have not the confirmation of that, but I think that it is a serious hypothesis which you should consider, uh, if I may, if I dare, I think that some of them, some of the Ukrainian autonomous popes are in the list of people which uh, you know, which has been published by the, the existence of it 
has been published by the press who would be put apart or eliminated if the Russian won. They, you have some resistant popes who don't want to resign and to abandon their freedom of speech and freedom of faith. There are some of them who are on the, on the blacklist of uh, the Russian invaders. Uh, there is very strong suspicion of that. The only thing I wanted to I want to say in conclusion is that um, again I was in the Maidan in March and April 2014, and one thing there is two things which struck me on the Maidan. Maidan was a, a place, as you know, of absolute free speech. Everything could be said, intelligent things. Uh, uh, thoughtful insights, and also sometimes some stupidities. Uh, uh, when the when the when the when the when the world is completely free, when whoever can come on the stage and say anything, you can have very odd things which are said. Okay, uh, like in a Hyde Park corner in London. Which what struck me is that one thing I never heard. One thing I never saw written on the walls was, for example, anti-Semitism. It was, again, a place of where the, where, where the speech was uh, completely open. People could say whatever, the, whatever they wanted. I never heard on the Maidan in March, April, May, one allusion to anti-Semitism. I did not hear one word uh, uh, insulting, uh, inflicting humiliation, or projecting to ban in the new Ukraine any religious minority. This was very striking. There was some appeals to democracy. There was some words of uh, of uh, combat against authoritarianism. There were some uh, speakers who said that they did not to go back under the uh, Russian boot, which for them was like the Soviet boot. I never heard one word against a faith or against a worshipper. This, I am a, a honest witness of this very precise fact, which has, which can be registered in the honor list of, uh, of the new Ukraine. It is the honor of the new Ukraine. And we'll have to leave it right here. I, I want to thank uh, Bernard-Henri Lévy for, for his deep insights and expertise for joining us today. Uh, you can find USERF's reporting on Russia and our latest policy recommendations related uh, to Crimea on our website. Uh, as always, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spot. Thank you, Edward. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.